Welcome to another inspirational message from Chowdean Community Church, Gateshead. For more information about Chowdean, visit www.chowdean.org.uk. We hope you enjoy the podcast. Now, my lovely friend at the back has helped me put some visually bits for this together because I'm not very clever at doing that. So this morning, I have the dubious honor of talking about finance and giving, and I don't want you all to glaze over and now go to sleep because it's not going to be what you think. I feel a little bit like George Osborne. I feel as though I should have come up here with a little red box, Um, but I haven't got a little red box. You'll be pleased to know. Um, And all of this about finance and giving pertains to us as individuals in the church and corporately as a church together. It thrills my heart when I hear announced, as we heard just now, of the amount of money that was given to the Philippines. Nobody, when they came to church that Sunday morning, knew that offering was going to take place. We weren't warned in advance. So that was from generous hearts, from a few people that gave a thousand pounds, and it really is thrilling to hear that. I'm just going to put this down. I still can't drink out the bottle, so I'm afraid I have to have a cup. But there isn't anywhere to put it. So, finance and giving. And it's part of the series that we've been doing in Acts. And I don't know about you, but when it comes to money matters, especially in the church, it's a part of church life that is a necessity. But most of us sort of fall asleep when that goes on. I have to say, as a church, we really have to thank Doreen. She really makes it interesting. She's got ways of doing it that um, stop us from going to sleep. But I think finance and giving is maintaining a balance. And maintaining a balance is as it is in life. So with life, so with finances. And you know, God tells us many things in his word about money. And he tells us in Matthew 6, 24, that we cannot serve God and serve money. And this has been a very big problem in the church, down through the ages, individually, corporately, um, it's still a problem today. That people want, when they come into life, to amass money. And amassing money must be very nice. There aren't many of us in this room, I think, that have amassed much money. Um, But I have known quite a lot of the people in this church over many years, and all I have ever seen is generous hearts and generous spirits. And that's what God says. If you love money, you can't serve me. You cannot serve two masters. You cannot serve money and serve God. I saw a little quote when I was uh, putting this all together, and I thought it was really interesting. It said, generous people are not necessarily faithful to God. Generous people are not necessarily faithful to God But faithful people are always generous. Faithful people are always generous. And I think you'll found that in life as you've gone through life, that people who are faithful to God are very generous. And they're generous not only in their monetary giving, but with their lives as well. And I found that when I came to this church in 1981, believe it or not, I was a young woman in those days with a young family. Um, I came to church on my own. I didn't know anybody. And we were at the chapel then, and I walked in there, and from the very minute I put my foot over the door, I found nothing but generous people. And I'm not talking about their money, 
I'm talking about how they treated me. Um, and I felt part of a family, and so it has always been. And so we pray as a church that we will always be known. We are known as a church that gives compassion and love, and we want it always to be like that. Now, for many months, we've been traveling through the journey of Acts. And it's been an interesting journey, hasn't it? And we've learned lots of things. And we've gone from the very early beginnings of the church and how it developed and how it spread from Peter and the early followers and now we've been on this journey with Paul. And I think we've seen, as we've looked at all the different problems, at all the different people that have come up here and tackled over the weeks, there are not many problems or joys that they have talked about in the last few months that are not particular and similar to our very own. I think that's been a striking thing. Uh, there are not many problems that are things that we haven't experienced, even down to the unfortunate episode that we've had in our own church life in the last few months and weeks, we even read about that in the book of Acts, that there were problems in the church and some people decided to separate and part their ways and go in different directions. And all that was going on while we were actually going through that story. And it's amazing, isn't it, how God has taken on us on that journey and we've gone through it with him and we are here now as a witness that this church is going on and the facts that for some reason God allowed that to happen. And so I thought how interesting it's been as we've seen all these things going on. And Paul in this particular part in Acts 20, he's thinking ahead and he's preparing the people for their spiritual futures because logistically he knows that it's extremely unlikely that he'll ever meet any of these people ever again. Because of his, what was happening in his life, he knew that because of his preaching and his teaching that he was under threat, that were people were out to have him, for want of another word, um, and logistically from the amount of terrain that he was covering, going from country to country. And so he realized that he was talking to these people and he was teaching them, leading them forward, but it was very, very unlikely that in their lifetime or in his lifetime, that he was ever going to meet them again. And so he's reminding them through all of his traveling that God, at no time in his life, was he dependent on anybody else for finance. That comes out very strongly in this part, in this passage. Paul reminds the people, in quite strong language actually when you read it, and in other parts of Acts as well, he tells the people that I'm no man's debtor. I provide for myself. Now, Paul was a tent maker. So he had an occupation. And so that is how he provided the wherewithal to uh, finance his traveling. And when he traveled, he took people with him. He took many. And he never asked for money from any church or any fellowship that he went to because he was self-sufficient. And that was something that he wanted. The people that he was with then and where he was going and down through the centuries, as we've read the book of Acts, he wanted us to know that he provided for himself and for those that went with him. And he paid his own way, and at no time was he ever indebted to anybody else. It also tells us in another part of Acts, at one particular time in his life, when there must have been a real pressure for money, that they worked night and day very, very hard um, to earn enough that was needed. And the necessity for providing for other people, and these are all yardsticks for us to measure in our lives, that God is saying to us, that we must be no man's debtor. Now, I'm very aware that I live in the Northeast. 
And at some stage in my married life, my husband was made redundant. And it was a very painful time in our lives. It was in the 80s, and um, he's a, a precision mechanical engineer. And there were thousands of men in the same profession as him out of work. And there was no work around. And he had to take any jobs, and some of them were hideous. He used to go out to work in the morning, and it was really painful to see him going out, a, a man who'd worked really hard and gone to college and having to do really horrible jobs in terrible weather in awful conditions. But he did it because he had a family and he had to pay the mortgage and he had to look after us all. Um, and I'm aware, very aware, that in this climate in which we're living at the moment, there are people who haven't got jobs and people who are struggling hard to find a job and not finding one, particularly amongst our young people. And we have young people in our congregation this morning who've been studious and gone to college, gone to university, studied very hard, um, and chosen to do something specific, and they haven't been able to fulfill it because of the climate of the time in which we're living. And we must remember them as a church. We must remember to get alongside them and also to pray for them and to be aware that they're struggling, some of them. They're, they're disappointed. They have a goal in sight, and they wanted to achieve it, and they haven't been able to achieve it. And we as a church should be remembering them. But, you know, Paul is just reminding us in this book of Acts that there are many people who are in need. And we see that, don't we? Whoever dreamt that we'd ever see the need that there is in the community at the moment. Um, I don't know if you've noticed up on the screen. I know sometimes things go up on the screen and we, we sort of like, they, they pass us by. But the Salvation Army in our area are specifically asking us to help at the moment with warm things, particularly warm bedding. They've got a project on with young girls coming out of prison. They can't afford to put the heating on, so they're asking for blankets and duvets and warm things. Um, and if you can help in any way, I know Andrew here is, is helping as well. So if you've got any of these things, if you bring them to church, we'll make sure that they get to the right places. But in Acts 20, Paul's reminding the people not to be greedy, not to be envious of others, not to want the money lifestyle, to be content with what they have. And I have to say, yes, I expect like everybody else, I always wanted my house to be nice, and I would like this, and I would like that. Um, and we want it to be all the things that we want it to be. But, you know, when you get further down the road, and you get to my age, you realize that none of those things are important anymore. None of those things. To be content inside is so much more precious and so much better for us. In Acts 35... It, Acts 35, in Exodus 35, verse 21. There's a story there when the people are in the desert and they're wanting to make a beautiful tent for, for them to worship God in, remembering that they're on the move and they want something beautiful. And Moses puts out a decree, ask people to bring things to him so that they can make this tent of meeting, as they called it. And it says in Exodus 35 and 21, everyone who was willing and whose heart was moved. That's the thing, isn't it? Not only are you willing, but if your heart is moved. And if you read in that story, the response of the people was overwhelming. But the thing that amazed me was these people could only carry what they had with them. They were on the move. They'd left Egypt, and they didn't know where they were going. They were wandering round and round, and yet they must have had some of these spectacularly beautiful things with them. 
not only monetary things of gold and silver, but beautiful cloths and um, the women for making embroidery and beautiful. If you read that story, it's lovely, but it says, those who were willing and whose hearts were moved. And that's what God's looking for us with finance of giving. He's looking for us to have willing, moved hearts. And if your heart is in tune with God, then you will open your purse or your wallet and put your hand in your pocket. Because how can we be content when we see other people in need? I don't know about you, but attitudes towards money are probably the hottest topic that divides people. And it's important in their life and its use and how they spend it. Now, go around all the congregation here and ask everybody, and everybody will have a different story, a different way of doing things. But it is a hot topic, isn't it? And you watch people, you watch how they handle money. It's very, very different. Very, we all have very different ways of, of how we handle money. Now, before I retired, I was a nurse. And I have to say to you that when people come into hospital and they take their clothes off and they put pajamas or a nightie on, you do not know whether they're wealthy or poor. You know nothing about them, but what you see is in front of them. And if you're unfortunate enough to be wearing a hospital gown, well, heaven help you, because it's never got any ties on the back, has it? But in a hospital gown, we all look exactly the same. Well, you can tell about people. It's very leveling, you know. You go sometimes on duty, go around the beds, and you could have a high court judge in one bed, and you could have a vagrant in the other. And you're looking after them, hopefully, exactly the same. And the point I'm making is that when we take away the outer garments and the outer facade, we are all the same. But how we deal with money is very different. Now, for the younger ones of you here, you can go to sleep now because you won't have a clue what I'm talking about. But when we were first married, we got paid in cash. You know that stuff that's money? <laughs> so you got um, an envelope, your husband. Well, see how different it is because the ladies didn't work in those days. Um, but your husband would come home um, on a Friday night and he'd bring an envelope home, and it would have his pay slip, but it would have cash in it. And then you would sit down at the table, and I don't know what everybody else did, but I think a lot of families were like ours, and we had all these little envelopes. And there was one for the rent, and one for the gas, one for the coal, one for food, one for fares, one for things that we might need, and there was little one to save. There wasn't ever very much in that one. And Ted, my husband, had a tin box, so all the money was dished out into all the envelopes, and it was put in the tin box. I never knew where he put the tin box. <laughs> but you would never, ever, ever think of taking the money out of the envelopes if you needed it, because that's how your parents had brought you up. It was a necessity. You had to pay the rent every week. You had to have food. You had to have heat. And mostly then it was coal, so the coal man came around, and you had to have cash. So that's why you had all this money in these envelopes. And I have to say, it's a good way of learning of how to keep your money in order and not to be spending money that doesn't really belong to you because when you get your money on a Friday night, most of the money there doesn't really belong to you at all. It belongs to somebody else. You may have it in your hand. But that is how I was brought up, and I know lots of people were. It's so different now because your money gets paid into the bank and you have a little piece of plastic and you have an overdraft, and if you want to, you can go out and spend money that you haven't even got. And this is why we're in such a terrible problem, isn't it? And so I think God is saying to us, we have to be responsible. 
We have to be responsible people. It is very unfortunate if anybody is here and they're worried about their jobs. I mean, look what's happened in the news this week in our area. There's going to be a 1,000 people out of work probably before Christmas. It's so sad. It's really, really hard. It's really, really hard. But God tells us that we have to be responsible people. Now, in the Bible, there are lots of little cameo stories all related to money, um, and you'll probably know a lot more of them than I do, but I just picked out one or two of them. Um, and I hope that you're familiar with some of the Bible stories. If you're not, you can come and ask us afterwards. But one of them is a woman, about a woman, she was, and she hasn't even got a name in the Bible. It's all about the widow's might. She came and she had a very small amount of money. It would be completely insignificant to anybody else, but it was all that she had, and she gave it to God. And that's the whole point of that story, is all that she had, she gave to God. And then there's the story about the rich young ruler that came to Jesus at nighttime. And he had money. He had a lot of money. And he had so many questions that he wanted to ask God. But God told him that if he wanted to be part of his kingdom, he had to sell all that he had and give it to the poor. That's a hard one, isn't it? Um, and then there's the story about the talents, about how there was a, people were given different amounts of money and they went away and they used it or they hid it and how it multiplied. We had a wonderful thing in the church a little while ago. Um, Stuart and Susan Han um, are involved in a project called Willing Hands in South Africa, and they provide financial and emotional and other support to um, orphans with HIV and AIDS. And we came in one Sunday morning, and on the seats was a brown envelope with a £10 note in it. Everybody got one. There must have been a lot of money sitting on the seats that Sunday morning. Um, and we were asked, we were given a month, and we were asked to go away and see if we could multiply that money. And we did. It's amazing the things that pe people did, all sorts of different things to multiply the money. So that's what God's saying to us. With your money, what are you doing with it? Are you sticking it in a hole in the ground like one man? Or are you making it work and doing useful things with it? So you don't expect, do you? God to be saying all these things about such a personal issue as money, because money is a very personal issue. And then, of course, we get to the story that we know quite well. It's about a man called Zacchaeus. Now, I know Zacchaeus gets a really bad press in the Bible, um, but Zacchaeus wasn't exactly all that was honest. And he was a Jew, and he was diddling his fellow Jews, and, and it's not on. And it just made me think, that nothing is new under the sun, is it? It's going on everywhere all the time. I mean, we've got this business with payday loans at the moment, and people who are in desperate situations are borrowing money, and they have absolutely no hope, most of the time, of paying it back. Or if they're dilatory and they don't pay it back straight away, it will, they'll go on paying it for the rest of their life, exorbitant amounts of interest. And God doesn't want us to get into situations like that. He wants us to be sensible and practical with our money. So let's have a look at God's word and see what God has to say about giving. Um, and I've asked um, Kath if she'll just pop up on the screen. Um, from Deuteronomy 14. She's put it up in the New Living Translation. And it says there, this is, this is, this is what God's instructions were to the people of Israel and they apply to us today. You must set aside a tithe of your crops, one-tenth of all the crops you harvest each year. 
You bring this tithe to the place of the Lord your God, where he chooses for his name to be honored, and eat it there in his presence. This applies to your tithes of grain, new wine, olive oil, and the firstborn males of your flocks and herds. The purpose of tithing is to teach you always to fear the Lord your God. Now place the Lord your God now the place your, the Lord your God chooses for his name to be honored might be a long way from your home. If so, you may sell the tithe portion of your crops and herds and take the money to the place the Lord your God chooses. When you arrive, use the money to buy anything you want, an ox, a sheep, some wine or beer, then feast there in the presence of the Lord your God and celebrate with your household. Do not forget the Levites in your community, for they have no inheritance as you do. At the end of every third year, bring the tithe of all your crops and store it in the nearest town. Give it to the Levites who have no inheritance among you, as well as to the foreigners living among you, the orphans, the widows in your towns, so that they can eat and be satisfied. And then the Lord, your God, will bless you in all your work. Now, I think that's amazing. That was written hundreds of years ago, and it's a reminder to us of what we should be doing today. God tells us that we should be giving a tenth of all we own and all we earn, whether it's money or crops or whatever it is, and one-tenth of it should be set aside for him, the best, the first of all, not what's left over at the end. That is how God wants us to be. He wants us to give a tenth. And he tells them what to do with it if they don't live locally, where they can take it to travel. And it is all done to honor God and that he might be glorified. I like the bit at the end where it's given provision for those that are not as well off as you. Um, he reminds them that the Levites the pre from the priests, they didn't have, they didn't earn money. So they had to be looked after. They had to have some financial help themselves. And then he reminds them, that um, there are foreigners living amongst you, there are orphans and widows, and they have to be provided for as well. So it's an amazing passage of Scripture that in the 21st century reminds us our responsibilities to God, that we should be a giving people. Now, this church is a generous church. And if you come at any time and you've got something on your heart that you would like some help with, I'm not talking about personally, but um, I, I, my daughter-in-law died three years ago, and she was a patient at St. Oswald's Hospice. Um, and I, my, I, would, I want to pay back to the hospice, because we use the services there for two and a half years, and it's very, very costly. And, and I do quite a few different things um, to, to help. I'm an ambassador there. Um, but the church here has been very generous and allowed me on different occasions to do sponsors and things. And, and I know they've done it for other things, for Ray's daughter when she was doing it in her memory of Pam, um, Ray's wife. Um, the church here is very generous. There are not many churches where you could come and say, I would like to do this as a sponsor, um, and will you help me? Um, and and they'll, they will if you, if you want to. It isn't particular to anybody in particular. We are a family here, and we're all equal. And if you would like to do something, <laughs> I'm saying this for me, I mean, I'm not one of the leaders. But I'm quite sure if you come to the leadership and you've got some burning issue on your heart that they will help you with it. It's wonderful to belong to a generous church. It's a privilege. But the generosity comes from the people. 
And let's just remind ourselves that it's not just about giving money, is it? Giving is so much more than finance. Giving is about your time, your talents, yourself. Time with and for people, and sometimes that is very costly, as some people in this church have found out. Talents to use in God's work. Um, and some of us have got work-related gifts and abilities that the church can benefit from. There are lots of you sitting out there that in your workplace, you've got lots of abilities, and I'm sure you could use them in the church. And, but we must remind ourselves that the church can only operate if people are willing. It's said in Exodus 35 that the people were willing. So we need to give of our best, much more than money, our time to serve, to listen, to help, to carry burdens. That's a very important part of the church's work, to carry other people's burdens. There are always people in the church and their families and outside who are hurting. We've heard about it this morning in our prayer time in the communion service. There are many people here who carry heavy burdens, and that's another part of the church's giving, to give of our prayer time. We have that opportunity on Wednesday. In other words, providing anything another believer lacks. Lots of people here are needy in one way or another. And I think our, our job now, as we go forward into a new era of our church life, is to look beneath the surface of where people are. Not to be nosy, not to ask questions, not to be intrusive, but to listen and be aware so that we as a church can step forward into something new and give from generous hearts. You might not have much money, but we all have time and we all have talents of one sort or another. This church could not operate without willing people. There are people who come here every Sunday morning. They're here long before we arrive. And there are people down at, at the church um, in Lofell who give of their time. And I want to thank them all from my heart for all the things that they do. And to all of you, especially for those who were generous to the Philippines recently. So as God looks on us today, and Paul has passed on his words of encouragement to us, that we need to have a job, have an income, use it wisely, help other people. And that is how God's church will grow. This is the end of this message. We hope you enjoyed it. If you want to find out more about our church, please visit www.chowdean.org.uk and please take a minute to rate our podcast on iTunes.